Welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina, and I'm following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. In this episode, I spoke with Jack Corns, the CEO and co-founder of Housebots, a robotics company that has already raised over $1 million in funding, building wall-climbing robots to be used in building maintenance tasks. It's such a cool startup, and we've never covered you know, robotics on the, on the podcast before, so I was massively excited to get Jack on the podcast to talk about it. And so we cover how their robots are saving lives by replacing the need for people to use scaffolding and ladders to inspect buildings. Also, how Jack and his co-founder started their very own robotics company, Housebots, of course, and the steps you could take if you want to start your very own one as well. Um, And also, at the very end of the episode, we cover the strategies you could undertake using the methodology of the Lean Startup, specifically when applied to hardware and physical products. I know a lot of you guys really want to start your own business around, you know, physical products or hardware of some sort. And so I really wanted to kind of, you know, give you guys some value in that case, because I know a lot of the startups that we covered on the podcast before have been software. I'm in software at the moment. And of course, you know, the, the methodology of the Lean Startup should be applied to every single startup. Um, you know, when you're when you're first starting out and also continuing to grow. Um, so I really wanted to kind of show you the roadmap, the strategies, the sort of, you know, the steps you could take when it comes to physical and hardware products specifically. And so, yeah, I thought Jack was an amazing person to have on for that because that, that's actually the strategy that he used. And yeah, he outlines that towards the end of the episode. So please be sure to stay tuned for the very end um, because he gives a lot of value in that case. So that brings me to this week's shout out. So in case you don't know, every week I'm going to shout out to someone who's left a written review on Apple Podcasts as a way of saying thank you, um, because it's so nice when, when someone's liking the podcast and I just want to share the love basically. So thank you so much to Jay Stark, who says, really insightful, have got some really valuable tips from this podcast, especially the one with Yaz, who provides some great marketing strategy insights. Thank you so much, Jay. Yaz was on the episode, I think, maybe five episodes ago now. She was really wonderful to have on the podcast. She was actually the first podcast I did, which was fully video. Um, So you can actually watch that episode on YouTube, as well as this one, um, and any future ones as well. With The the podcast is on YouTube as well now. I know a lot of you guys like watching it on video. So yeah, please be sure to to watch that one with Yaz as well. Um, As Jay says, really valuable for him. So I'm sure I've got a lot of messages about that one, actually. So please be sure to listen to that one after this one, of course. Thanks so much again and enjoy the episode. Hey, Jack, how you doing? Hi, yeah, very good. Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, really good. Really, really fun to have you on the podcast. Like, I feel like we haven't actually had any robotics entrepreneurs on the podcast before. That's why like, I'm so excited to have you on. And it's such an exciting field, I feel like, to be a part of. It's kind of surprising to me why I haven't had any entrepreneurs from the robotics space at all. Mm. But I mean, yeah, first time for everything. I feel like this might be a really good first time as well, like in the robotics space. Because what you're doing with Housebots seems like so exciting. It seems crazy exciting. Yeah. So yeah, massive pleasure to have you on. Yeah, no problem. I guess the one of the reasons is that building robots can be very hard. So <laughs> there's not many people as stupid as me. Um but after this, I'll, I'll hook you up with some people that I know you can get even more more guests on. Yeah, of course. I think yeah, it's an industry obviously that's that's booming and exploding along with like any like some other industries that we've talked about before. But yeah, I think I, I think it's really cool. And um, I think before we move on to I guess how you started and I guess like <laughs> why many people might not do robotics is quite hard. I think it'd be really good for people to find out like what is Housebots, uh, like what is it actually doing day to day. It's doing some really exciting stuff. Sure. 
Yeah, so I'm Jack, uh, CEO and co-founder of Housebots. We have a vision for the future where humans' feet don't leave the floor when it comes to inspecting and maintaining buildings and infrastructure. Uh, our first step on that vision is to build our first product, which is a wall climbing robot. It's a patent pending system. And the unique thing is that our robot can climb basically any type of surface, any type of wall, concrete, flat surface, render, rough, smooth, you name it, the robot can deal with it. Uh, and then adding different attachments on that for maintenance and inspection tasks. Um, so we're kind of going a level up from what today's technology does, which is typically like visual based drones or things like that, and really adding physical tasks to robotics for inspecting and maintaining our infrastructure. Um, we've raised somewhere around a million dollars in total from uh, funding from venture capital, some grant funding. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. And I think it's like, yeah, as I said, it's such a cool space, but more than anything, like building sites and like maintenance of buildings and things like that, like there are quite a lot of deaths involved. Like it is, it is a pretty messy job. So any any sort of innovation within that space of trying to maintain, you know, humans' feet on the floor, as you said, that's like a massive win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the problem is really threefold. The, fir the first side that you really touched on is the safety i mean um, it's actually the single most dangerous thing you can do in your career is working at height there's more deaths in falls from height than for any other cause um, uh, in in the kind of western world uh, leading cause of deaths at work in both the uk and the us is people falling so uh, danger definitely the cost as well um, typically at over about two meters, if you've got an inspection or maintenance project, then you'll have to get proper access. And what I mean by proper access is typically something like scaffolding or a cherry picker or something like that, not just a ladder. Uh, and once you've got these involved, then about 50% of your project cost gets swallowed up by, by that access. Um, so, you know, let think that you're painting the outside of a, a pretty big building then you could easily be hundreds of thousands of pounds deep in scaffolding um and then the third thing is is the disruption that all of that stuff causes like it takes a lot of time to set up your scaffolding to do all your risk assessments to get your permits to get your licenses to do the job to take the scaffolding down but we kind of want to be in a position where you can turn it with a robot, stick it on the wall, and you can start your maintenance or inspection project immediately. How good, this is a question I have any, with any like robotics project, is how good is the robot compared to a human? You must get this question all the time, right? <laughs> because it is like the magical question, because obviously like on videos and things, you might see some like Japanese robots doing some funny things. But as for like commercial use, yeah, it's something that is a bit of a, like it's a space that I don't know, if I've seen like too many things in, obviously like it's not my area, mm. but I guess in terms of like comparisons to an actual human, like how like far has the innovation come basically? Yeah, so um, it, obviously it depends massively on the task that you're doing. Um, a lot of the things that we're doing are kind of carrying a sensor from A to B. So if I can paint a picture in your mind, there's a particular use case that we work on, which is ultrasonic thickness measurements of metallic structures. Uh, one of the typical structures is a storage tank that we might be working with with the client on. Um, we take the sensor that would be in a person's hand and just stick it on the robot. And what this sensor does is that it drives, or in the human sense, they have to somehow get this sensor to be 
in contact with the side of the tank from the bottom to the top in three different places to take a, a straight line of thickness measurements. Um, we literally just take that and stop the human from either being on the scaffolding doing that or being on a rope access doing that and have it on a robot. So the robot drives up and carries it up. In that instance, we're obviously 100% comparable to a person. It gets the exact same outcome. It's the same as a human. You can basically think of the robot as a human's hand holding the sensor against the surface. But there's a number of more advanced tasks that we're um, probably only... 80 or 90% as good as a human, something like painting, for example. We can do a lot of the big areas on a paint job, so like the outside of a, of a big house. The paint can get on in the large areas, but when you need to be really fine and protective around the windows uh, or something like that, then maybe the robot isn't quite there. There's a number of ways that we can we can use to overcome them, but typically the more dexterous the task, the more perfect the task has to be, the harder it is to make a robot be good at that. So we try and choose as many use cases as we can that are really not needing that too much element of the human dexterity. Things like, as I say, sensor carrying, probe carrying, painting large areas and stuff like that. So they're the tasks that we tend to focus more on. That's really cool. That's really cool. But do you feel like over time, with a bit more innovation, obviously, like, I don't know, with like virtual reality, if like they can control it un un unmanned, that sort of thing. Um, do you feel like it could go a step further? Yeah. So um, uh, we've actually, the, the grant that we've won is, um, it was announced a couple of days ago. We won a grant from Innovate UK. Uh, and it was literally for that exact use cases to, to improve our painting. Um, we're probably not going to do it through VR, but um, there's um, a number of different things that we can do to make our painting much more accurate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we were having this podcast in probably six months time, we'll be significantly advanced. And I suppose that's the exciting thing about working in a startup is we all have this belief that our robot is going to be better in the future. And as long as we work hard to do it, then daily it gets better. You know, even from a month ago, we're way better than it was. And this this continuous progress and in innovation, which is pretty exciting. Jack, I really want to know more about, I guess, like you didn't go to university, you mentioned before you hit record. And I'm really, I'm really like eager to find out more about the journey of how you actually started it, because I know you met your co-founder through, through school, you said. So I don't know, like robotics, unless your, your co-founder did engineering, like how, how did you kind of come up with the idea and like, how did you kind of, yeah, how did you come up with it? Sure. So yeah, going, going way back then, my co-founder, Harry, he's the technical lead on the, on the project, uh, my CTO. Uh, the two of us have known each other since we were about 11 years old, I think, maybe 12 years old. We went to, to school together, so I've known him for far too long now. Um, at school, we were um, a kind of chalk and cheese in a way. I was the kid that was trying to sell things to my friends all the time, you know, the classic tuck shop out of the backpack and trying to sell t-shirts yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that We've kind all been of there. stuff exactly yeah um whereas he was the kid that was making a messing around with stuff taking his computer apart and um one of his most famous projects is that he rebuilt a land rover when he was like 13 years old or something um so really kind of physically mechanically engineering minded um he went off to university as as you've rightly identified to study engineering and um, I decided that I was going to just start working. So I got a job in sales. I worked for a couple of years after school, straight out of school in, in sales teams from 
uh, I worked at IBM for a bit selling computers and I moved to a, a drinks company and I was selling drinks, but really if you can sell something, you can sell anything. So I just wanted to sell stuff. Um, and whilst I was, uh, whilst I was at, at work, we were having a catch up over, over a drink and he was kind of telling me about this idea that he'd had, which came to him when his parents asked him to paint his house. So he was basically up a ladder thinking, Jesus Christ, I've got an engineering degree. I'm up a ladder. There's got to be a better way of, of this, this happening. So he made our first ever prototype as just some fun because as I say, he's a tinkerer. He likes making stuff. Um, he was telling me about the prototype and uh, over this drink that we were having. And I just kept on thinking to myself, I know you've made that for a bit of fun, but Jesus, there's got to be a market there. You know, I was at this time working at, at IBM. We were selling automation packages for all sorts of crazy things. And I could see the amount of money being spent in, in automating. Uh, we were typically doing software into automation, customer service packages and things like that. Um, I was seeing how much money was being spent on automation and then just saw that this was the perfect thing to get automated, you know, working at height, dangerous, time consuming, expensive. It ticks all the boxes for something that you'd want to automate. Um, so we didn't really think much of it. I did a bit of research. We kept on speaking and, um, to, to cut a long story short, then the market research showed that it was the perfect time to try and bring a product like that to market. And so he was studying whilst I was working and part-time we were like in his garage making robots and testing things and talking to potential customers before we had enough um, data, if you like, to basically say, right, this is, this has now actually got some traction. Um, I quit my job. He is still on a hiatus from university, so uh, we'll see how that ends up going. And um, uh, here we are having raised some financing for it and ended up shipping to our first customers. So that's the genesis, really. That's really cool. I'd love to take a few steps back and like break down your answer a bit, a, bit, a little bit. So sure. when you, I guess, because one thing doing that market research and, and for sure, like it's something that it's so problematic, like it ticks all the bo boxes, as you said. But for me, you know, I, I would do that level of research. I'd, I'd find out like there is, there is, there's got to be a better way here. But it's one thing finding that, and it's one thing I guess finding like knowing that there's there's a robot that can actually do that. You know, like that that would be my thing. Is like, oh, it might not be possible to actually get a robot to do all these things that a human does. Did it kind of blow you back the because you didn't come from the engineering background? Did it kind of blow you back as to the actual potential that these robots can do? To be honest, yes. And uh, it's only recently that we've actually managed to get the robot to do the things we wanted to do. <laughs> the, the first prototypes, um, Harry, Harry won't, won't uh, berate me for saying, were terrible. Um, and they didn't quite work. Well, it sort of climbed, it sort of did what you wanted to do, but, you know, it would fall off the wall or it would, it would take too much power up or it just it wasn't quite giving this the... the uh, the elegant solution that you would want um, but uh, I, I guess again that's that's kind of part of the entrepreneur's DNA is almost being um, foolish enough to believe in a future where continuous progress just never stops and so the, the two of us thought we have the, the right skill sets between us to have a stab at it with surrounding ourselves with even more clever people which by the way is the first thing that we did was hire um, three members of staff who are way smarter than we are um, we kind of just knew that as long as if you're daily improving the product and improving the robot then at some point you're going to be able to get get to a system that, that does what you want to do 
Um, so yeah, especially from my point, not coming from a technical background, then there's a lot of faith you've got to put in somebody to, whilst when he's telling you, or your co-founder is telling you, yeah, yeah, this is going to be possible. There's a lot of faith you've got to give them to say, okay, we'll do it. We'll build it. Let's, I'll go and talk to the customers and you just deliver. So thankfully we managed to, we managed to get past that. And, uh, and yeah, as I said, the, the robot managed to start working. So. I really wanted to dig deeper into the timelines of this because from a software background myself, the way the and the strategies I kind of undertook with the timelines was, you know, have an initial idea around a problem, do a bit of desk, desk research, um, and then obviously speak to some ideal customers and build out a solution based around them. And then when you have your early customers, basically keep iterating based on their feedback, essentially, so you can solidify your product market fit. So I know exactly how it works for software and I, you know, I've instrumented it with, with different startups, especially with Wing that I'm doing recently. But I really want to talk to Jack specifically about the timelines when it comes to robotics, but also with hardware and physical products. Because yeah, I, I just really wanted to know, you know, how the strategies would change, you know, adopting that lean startup methodology of, you know, building something, iterating around your customers, feedback and all of that, all of that stuff. But yeah, specifically with a hardware or, or, um, or physical product. And this is exactly what we chatted about. Yeah, so um, there's a really good book that I'll point to um, right now called The Four Steps to the Epiphany. Uh, the Four Steps to the Epiphany is a book written by the same guy who did all of the lean startup stuff. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, um, uh, well, no, sorry, actually, Steve Blank, who was something to do with the, he was Eric Rice's professor or something, I can't remember. He's something to do with the lean startup thing, a guy called Steve, Steve Blank. Um uh, four steps to the epiphany it basically describes to you um how to go from potential idea to a commercial business in as the name suggests four steps um each step is pretty much designed um on that same principle of, of the lean startup of just build as little as you possibly can before you can get validation so like the first thing that i was ever going to customers to show with was a PowerPoint with a couple of sketches on, and then we made this awful animation of a robot moving around a wall. And so I would then go to a customer and say, let's talk about your problems. Let's, you know, how much money are you spending? Um, is this really an issue for you? Would you want it to be solved? And then you can start saying, well, here's a potential solution. And I'd get my PowerPoint up and it would be this awful sketch. And we'd talk about this sketch and they'd go, yeah, if you could build that, then there's probably some interest in there. And then... Bing, you've got a little bit of validation to then say, okay, we're on the right track, so let's carry on building what we think. Or maybe you'll have another meeting where somebody even more important than the last customer will say, you know, that presentation you showed me, don't bother building that. You know, there's no way I could ever have any use for that. But maybe if you could solve this challenge for me, and then that kind of then impacts your your product. Um, So uh, in a nutshell, the, the teachings from this book is basically as a founder, as a founder or as a founding team, um, the best thing you can do is just make a set of educated guesses as to what your customers are going to want. And then you need to do the little, the minimum possible work to get validation against your guess and either change it or carry on on the same path. So, um, I mean, we were, um, we were at least a year and a half into that process before we even could show anything physical to a customer. And then, probably two and a bit years into that process before we could show something to a physical to a customer that actually worked. Um, but throughout all of that time and being careful, you're then damn sure that what you're going to show them is correct. 
And also you haven't spent much money to get there because uh, you're not just smashing loads of money and building these random products that you haven't validated. So it's kind of that, that chicken and egg, egg situation, but um, building as little as you possibly can first. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that, that teaching and that kind of strategy goes for every startup as well. It's this, it's, a, it's the kind of the plan that I'm using for the current one that I'm building. Um, like the listeners will know, but like I'm building a contactless business card, innovate within the whole space of in-person networking. And we did the exact same solution where we, we could build the physical product, but as for the software, we kind of backpacked or like used other people's softwares to power it. Um, yeah. So we use like contact in bio, which is like a link tree competitor yeah. to build it. Yeah. Um, sold a few just from that. And that was like immediate validation to know that people will pay for it. Mm. And then we're like, okay, we might as well build our own solution to make the whole process easier. And then kind of just like builds up from there. We're building a launch group as well um to kind of get more consumer feedback and like putting things through them like oh if we change the material of the card like would you guys like it and some will say yes and then we're like we'll do it but then we'll put out another suggestion they'll say no and we're like okay good good that we'll shut, shut that down early so we didn't spend any money doing it so i mean this whole strategy that you use for robotics obviously the timelines are different but i'm just illustrating that i guess for any startup the, the rule definitely applies like test speak to customers and then like build around them uh, I think we talked about that many times on the podcast before, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Really good to know yeah. for and robotics, it works as well. Yeah, it's it's well for kind of any type of hardware as well. Is the problem is you could you can literally be years and years and hundreds of thousands of pounds into into a project if you're gonna if you do the build first and then they will come. You know, uh, you can be so much time, effort, energy, money into a project before somebody just says, actually. I don't want that product. <laughs> so the the least money you can possibly spend before getting that answer is is better. Yeah, no, 100%. So you went to the customers and gave them like the idea of a solution kind of like with the feedback you built, but you built that solution, innovated the robot to there. And you said it was only very recently you actually had the physical product to be able to sell to them. Yeah, um, I, I just to... Um, just to backtrack a, li a little bit on that, with the um, the way that we we approached the customers was a little bit backwards. In that, obviously, my co-founder had the idea for a wall climbing robot, um, and then we started basically going to customers and asking them about it. Um, but even then, I didn't tell the customers about our solution until probably meeting two. It would typically be meeting one would be j just talk about your problem because. Um, I had to really try hard not to um, throw my solution at them before really understanding the problem. So meeting one was typically how much money are you spending on work at height? Is it really a problem? Do you think it's a headache? Have you tried anything to fix it? All of these sorts of things. Um, then meeting two, I would I would then start saying, well, here's a potential solution and then kind of working around that because um, that's another thing that um, I think it's really difficult and there's, um, there's another sound bite for your listeners. Then there's this way of interviewing people called the mum test. And the mum test is all about how do you interview somebody um, who could be your mum, because your mum's not going to say anything bad about you, uh, in a way to try and get them to say bad things about you. So I definitely um, uh, research the mum test in a way to structure these interviews to really get to the heart of the problem. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry, coming back to your question. <laughs> um, which was i can't remember now yeah go on i can't remember now what the question was it was 
I think you kind of answered it, to be honest, okay. um, in, in, in a way. But I oh, think, yeah, I think no, the next question that, I really sorry, want to ask it was, is... Um, it was how recently we, we got our products ready. So, yes, we... Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was only quite recently, right? Yeah, very recently. So um, throughout all of this, we would be um, kept on showing customers um, improvements, but still basically useless improvements. So it would be like, here's a robot that can climb a wall. And the customer would say, great, but... I'm not going to pay you for climbing a wall for me, are you? So then it would be, here's a robot that can climb a wall and it sort of has a bit of a, a painting gun on it. And they'd be like, wow, that's a cool improvement, but still that painting's pretty rubbish. I'm not going to pay it's you not for that, am I? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we went through that process of kind of just, but it was, it, was, it was just seeking extra validation really, because at any point the customer could say, well, no, you're on the wrong track. So as long as you keep showing it to them, then at least get the feedback um until it was to be honest with you it was, it was like the start of this year that we really got into a position where we could reliably show climbing robots doing useful things uh, and running pilot projects so um all in all from harry's first ever idea to getting to the point where we've actually got a useful robot um you're, you're probably just over three years three and a half years so it can be a wow, slog. <laughs> wow. It's really eye-opening to me because I haven't spoken to that many, you know, robotics entrepreneurs before. I'd love to kind of ask you the question around, you know, we talked about the game plan of actually starting with the four-step plan, as you mentioned before. Um, and that goes for software, hardware, it goes for pretty much anything, any startup. But are there any like kind of unique marks of a robotic startup that are more unique starting a robotics startup rather than like an, a software company, for instance? Um, I know you alluded to like, this is especially good for hardware, but like more specifically for robotics, obviously it took you a long time to get from the initial product to actually commercializing it now. Are there any other unique trades that like, if people want to actually start a robotics company, how, like, how would it go about? Yeah, I guess um, you, you touched on it already when you spoke about making your, your MVP by pulling together other people's software is that it's something fairly unique about robotics in that you can't do a lot of that um it's especially in the uh, in the last well first of all there's there's been a humongous improvement in the last kind of five years there's um uh, advent uh, and kind of accessibility of 3d printing for example so you can be making physical parts cheaper quicker and easier than ever before but still you have to be able to be able to buy that 3d printer you have to be able to then uh, have your laptop to design the parts you have to then be able to uh, wait for the thing to be printed and then have a, enough equipment to test it properly and all of these sorts of things so um, really the the um, the mark of a successful early stage startup anyway is trying as hard as you can to not design everything from scratch but really try and bring as much of other people's stuff together to make your prototype so in our instance uh, we could have started from day one to make all of our own custom electronics um, but there's adequate development boards like Raspberry Pi, which you would have heard of, or Arduino, which you can buy for £50, and then you've got a stable um, computer that you can run your, your software on off, off the robot. So kind of making as many of those smart choices you can to use other people's developments to start, um, start your prototypes, the better. Because again, um, 
something that's that's pretty unique with with robotics engineers specifically is engineers love to engineer and if you let engineers engineer they'll engineer forever so to to really kind of get a hold of um yeah i'm sure it would be lovely to design a perfect electronics package from scratch but then you're talking way more cost time effort energy and it might go wrong anyway so choose as many of those examples as you can like you said pulling together other people's software but in the robotics case it's typically pulling together people's other people's 3d printing equipment pulling together other people's um designs pulling together people's electronics it's there's a lot of moving parts but the more you can steal effectively from other people the quicker you can make it happen are there any sources for that because i I mean the way that you spoke obviously like there's been innovations in the space like raspberry pi is a very good example of that where you can kind of like plug in things from other people's like technologies and i think software obviously like has come a long way where you can actually build like a a software company very quickly you know you can plug in other people's technologies obviously you can build an app quite quickly with you know drag and drop softwares and things like that um but is there kind of like any sources within the robotic space to be able to sort of kind of like experiment very quickly and kind of talk to customers very quickly being able to show something that that you could that like you could test between if you know what i mean yeah, um, uh, a lot of these these um, microcontrollers or single board computers have unbelievable com- um, communities around them. So, whether it be Facebook groups or YouTube channels or um, you know Discord channels or whatever, then um, somebody typically has already solved a similar problem to what you're trying to do when it comes to the field of robotics you know somebody somewhere has integrated a lidar sensor to a raspberry pi and got some wheels to move so that it didn't hit an obstacle so there's lots of people online that you can learn from these things from um uh, there's a there's a number of websites off the top of my head uh, there's a website called instructables instructables is is a really good way of again it's typically these kind of physical robotics electronics based projects where they teach you how to make these things um, uh, quickly um, but the kind of the um, uh, the next step above that is then of course accelerators so um, housebots went through uh, an accelerator program called hacks um, hacks h-a-x hacks are um, the world's most active investor in hardware startups and robotic startups um, literally hundreds of startups in their portfolios all around electronics and, and um, uh, robotics different hardware companies and uh, securing investment from them was was uh, a game changer for us because we got access to their um, technical knowledge to kind of help us get past that hobbyist style robot which you can knock together with raspberry Pis and and make it a lot more reliable and and kind of robust so um definitely if you're considering robotics businesses then accelerators are going to be a massive help for you Uh, and specifically hacks i can't can't say enough uh, uh, enough good words and how impactful hacks have been to to our success yeah i think it's quite funny you said that because i've had quite a few hardware companies before on the podcast and whenever i ask them a similar question to what i just asked you they always say accelerator programs and i feel like more so than software companies like accelerator programs really help hardware and electronics and things like that would you agree like is that is that like yeah it's i mean just just it comes, by spotting a trend yeah it come it comes down to um setup costs ultimately right it costs a lot of money to 
I mean, if I'm just thinking about the equipment that we've got in our office, we've got a CNC machine, which costs three grand. We've got a number of 3D printers, probably two grand in 3D printers. We've got electrical testing equipment, probably another couple of grand. We've got um, EMC testing equipment. We've got power supplies. We've got soldering stations. We've got all of these things, which um, if you just wanted to set up your business, it's not it's not a cheap setup cost. Um, but that's what the accelerators help you with is uh, hacks again they have a, a state-of-the-art workshop that you get access to you know it's kind of like being at university you, you, imagine if you were an electronics student at university and you had to pay for all of the testing and manufacturing equipment at your university course you'd never be able to do it so it's kind of that um that step up or it's kind of again an, an analogous to early software businesses where you'd have to pay for your own server farm and you'd have to work out how you're going to do all these sorts of things. So accelerators are a great one for that. Um, maker spaces is another one. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, um, the concept of a makerspace. I haven't heard of any of these hardware accelerators. Okay. Well, a, a, a makerspace, it's, it's not an accelerator as opposed to just a membership to a space with this type of equipment in. So, um, Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So there's yeah. there's an organization called Fab Lab. Uh, Fab Lab have branches all over the country where you can pay a monthly fee to get access to that sort of equipment that I mentioned. There's one in Birmingham, which is one of the main reasons we, we re- relocated in Birmingham called the Steam House. Uh, the Steam House is actually completely free to access and it's got CNC machines, woodworking machines, metalworking machines, uh, electronics equipment and experts in all of those areas to help you. Yeah, as, as long as you're a business, uh, you you, um, you have to apply, obviously, but it's it's free and you, you know, no equity or anything like that. Uh, Steam House, that is S-T-E-A-M House, Steam House. Um, they're a fantastic organization and another um organization that really helped us get access to that sort of equipment so i'd say it comes down to the startup and cost of, of accessing these things that you need that's really good i really hope that people stay to the very end of, end of the podcast if you are still here that is some amazing value that you just dropped that right there so if you are thinking of starting a robotics company those that last like five minutes i think is going to be really valuable so jack i'm going to wrap up there thank you so much for joining me on the podcast it's been such a pleasure having you on to talk about housebots and just everything about robotics Starting a robotics company, I think a lot of young people see the space as really exciting as, as it is. And it seems like, yeah, like for me, I've never really considered it because it's just not my area. But I know a lot of people see it as really exciting. And there is there is going to be a lot of innovation within that space, I feel. Um, similar to what you said, like before with this within software, you have to buy your own server farm and all of that stuff. I feel like hardware will probably go through the space where like you can, you can backpack off other people as well um, eventually. So yeah, thank you so much, Jack, for coming on. How can people stay in touch with you, stay in touch with Housebots? You mentioned you've got a grant, so I'm sure they'll be staying in touch with like what, what's going on in the future. How can, we, how can people stay in touch? So the, the best place really for me is LinkedIn, um, Jack Corns, C-O-R-N-E-S. Um, I accept anybody, so just add me. Um, or if you really wanted to get in touch with me, then jack at housebots.com send me an email thank you so much jack for coming on again and i'm sure we'll speak soon thanks so much cheers mate thank you so much for listening to this episode of the millennial entrepreneur my name's been cena it really means so much that you stay for the very end of the episode it really means so so much um if you did enjoy please be sure to leave a written review on apple Podcasts, or you can subscribe to us on youtube as well to show you the support for the podcast follow us on instagram 
that's it, all the new episodes and the audiograms and also some new you know you know inspirational and sort of valuable content has been I, i've been doing some more instagram posts on on there which has been really cool um so yeah please be sure to follow us on there because it's really really valuable and yeah i think that's it from me i'll catch you in the next episode